I can look down the valley of the shadow of death with hope towards that feast that is prepared for me and for all of God's people. And yeah, trials are gonna come and ultimately death. It will not hold me down forever in the grave. My body will decompose and turn back into dust. But from that dust, I believe that God will powerfully call the reconstitution of my human existence into a form and a state that is more glorious than what I am currently right now. Welcome back to Midweek Musings. I'm Pastor Taylor and here again with my brother and co-laborer in the Lord, Pastor Daniel Ventura. It's good to be with you again, brother. It's good to be here with you too, brother. It was good to hear a sermon on Isaiah. Uh, we're dipping back into Isaiah. Pastor Taylor is going through his series in Isaiah and Lord willing, we'll also look at the servant songs during Christmas time. Uh, but this past week, uh, brother, what text did we consider and what was the main point? Yeah, it's been exciting to jump back into Isaiah. And we jump back in in Isaiah chapter 25, where we find the prophet Isaiah reflecting on a challenging season in his own life when both he and God's people were experiencing various kinds of suffering under oppressive powers of their day, other nations. And in the midst of that difficulty, Isaiah perseveres by considering the ultimate hope of victory the promise that the Lord will swallow up death forever, that there will be a final resurrection and a restful peace that God will grant to all who wait upon him with faith. Mm. Yes, that imagery already of God swallowing up death forever is a very vivid one. Is there other types of imagery in the text that help us see what this is talking about? In the very beginning, in verse 1, he talks about the plans of the Lord. He says, O Lord, you are my God, I will exalt you, I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. And so in the midst of his season of trial and suffering, he remembers that God knows the end from the beginning, that he's this master planner who has orchestrated all things according to that plan that he made in eternity past. And his plans are faithful and sure because God is faithful and sure. Also, we see in the next verse that Isaiah is thinking about those nations and oppressive, ruthless rulers, and he speaks of these cities that they build up. They will become ruins. He says, for you have made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin, in that he's considering how historically, when we look back, God time and time again has brought proud nations down into a heap of ruin. These kingdoms rise and they fall, but the kingdom of God endures forever. Isaiah is meditating on those truths, even as he takes shelter. That's the next vivid image that's there. In verse four, he says, for you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. In his distress and the storms of life, when the heat of difficulty was turning up, Isaiah turned to God for strength and refuge, for spiritual relief. And that comes out in the very next vivid image as well, the shade of a cloud. He says, you subdue the noise of the foreigners as heat by the shade of a cloud. So the song of the ruthless is put down. And so this is a really beautiful image here, like a thick cloud that comes and blocks the burning rays of the sun and quickly provides relief for those on the ground so god is able to quickly bring relief to his people by silencing the burning attacks of their persecutors that's a good note to hit about how the lord brings down those who are proud in those nations that are proud and 
And that leads to the imagery of verse 6, doesn't it? On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make a feast for all peoples, a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And this is a a mountaintop feast, right? It's a celebration. And it's a celebration of what you're saying, brother, uh, God's victory over all of his enemies. And it's so interesting because in Isaiah 24 through 26, we read of God's judgment on the enemies, as you mentioned already a few verses. But comparing this verse here in Isaiah 25, we could compare it with Isaiah 24, where we read this. The Lord makes the earth empty and makes it a waste and he scatters abroad its inhabitants. Verse four, the earth mourns and fades away. The haughty people of the earth languish. Verse six, the curse has devoured the earth. The new wine fails. The vine languishes, all merry-hearted sigh. They shall not drink wine with a song. All joy is darkened. And this is a picture, right, of God's judgment, scattering the people, turning their joy into mourning, allowing the curses to swallow up their songs of joy. But in contrast to that, Here we get this mountaintop feast at Mount Zion. God holds for his people here an extravagant banquet as he assembles all of the peoples of the earth to his holy mountain to celebrate his victory. That's beautiful and it's so helpful in the sense that Isaiah gets his vision of that banquet feast on the mountaintop, not when he is on the mountaintop, right? Mm. But rather he is like in Psalm 23, he is in the valley of the shadow of death and as he's in it, in the midst of great suffering, he's looking down that valley, down that tunnel, so to speak, and he sees that table that the Lord is preparing for him and for all his people in glory. And that gives him hope to press on through hard times, pulled forward by that light of hope at the end of the tunnel of this great feast. And that speaks to the next images that we get of how God will bring us there, the covering of death, in verse 7 where he says he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples the veil that is spread over all nations this is giving us an image of a kind of a weighted blanket over top of all peoples that we cannot escape death is coming and it will swallow us all up in the end it doesn't matter if you're successful and influential in this world like a shark swallowing up the weak minnows in the world like the ruthless people that were stomping upon isaiah and israel eventually all will be swallowed up by the megalodon death we are all minnows before death in that sense and yet isaiah shows us through the next image that there is even a bigger fish so to speak because we see the swallowing of death by the lord himself in verse 8 the lord will swallow up death forever. This wonderful image, and we'll get into that a bit more when we consider how that ties into Jesus. But we have that great confidence that God will defeat death for us and bring us to that table that we already considered. And at that table, we have in the last image that we'll unpack here, the compassionate father, where Isaiah says, the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And that's such a beautiful imagery of who God is. Uh, The deep sadness that we experience and we feel in this life is often expressed by tears. And here we find that God himself is promising to personally remove our sorrow like a friend or a parent uh, taking a handkerchief to gently wipe away the tears that are running down our faces. And it shows that God is so intimately concerned with the experience of the suffering of his people and that he will personally ensure that we are all fully comforted and healed in glory with him after he brings us through death 
and to that mountaintop feast that we already considered. Hmm. Yeah, you know, although death is so familiar to us in our world and common to our experience, we want to remember that it's, um, although it's common, it's not natural. God did not create us to die, right? He created us to live forever with him in glory. You know, John Murray put it this way, death is not the debt of nature, it's the debt of what violated man's nature, namely sin. And so we are grappling with that, you know, reality, even in this text of the reality of sin, which leads to death. But like you said, Isaiah doesn't end here. The Bible doesn't end there. It points us to the God who shows us compassion and ultimately the one who will do that through Christ. And so, brother, how is this truth as presented by this text renewing and reshaping your own heart? Well, like everyone else, I have my own trials and challenging circumstances and situations that are before me on a day-to-day basis and in life. And for example, the setbacks that I face in my fight against my own sinful nature or the unfair treatment that I face in life from others, from their unhelpful criticism or perhaps slander or attacks from the world for our Christian faith. In the face of all of these sufferings, like Isaiah, I can look down the valley of the shadow of death with hope towards that feast that is prepared for me and for all of God's people. And that gives me a great comfort when I look by faith to what God has promised. And yeah, trials are going to come. And ultimately, death will eat me up one day if Christ has not returned before then. But God's promises uh, are sure for me that he will win the ultimate victory over death, that it will not hold me down forever in the grave. My body will decompose and turn back into dust. But from that dust, I believe that God will powerfully call the reconstitution of my human existence into a form and a state that is more glorious than what I am currently right now. And the Apostle Paul speaks about that in 1 Corinthians 15, where he says, the trumpet will sound, referring to that last day when Christ returns, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, and here he quotes Isaiah, death is swallowed up in victory. That promise that Paul is unpacking, it gives me a living hope in life, hope that does not make me weaker, like the atheist thinker Nietzsche argued, thinking that the Christian faith made people weak in life. No, that hope makes me all the stronger and enables me to persevere, which is what Peter says in his letter, uh, speaking of the living hope that we have through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, that it is in that that we rejoice, even though for a little while we are grieved by various trials. That hope is what sustains me and gives me joy. Even as I grieve my way through the valley of tears, I know that that feast of food awaits me because of what Christ has done for me through his life, death, and resurrection. And that strengthens me to persevere. Amen, brother. And that's the hope we see in our text here in verse 9, where we read, It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. That's the hope of the church, right? The people of God as they together wait for the Lord. But it's also the hope of every individual Christian in the face of death, in the face of our own death, in the face of the death of a loved one. That's the personal hope that we cling to. 
You can think of Job's confession from Job 19:25, when he said, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. And so we see that same hope resonating in the hearts of God's people, even in the face of death, that they know after we've died, we will be raised, glorified, and in our glorified flesh, we're going to see God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen. So, brother, how does this text also correct you? Yeah, well, as I grieve through various trials, I am tempted often to try and swim through the difficulty by my own strength. I try to press on not by appealing to God's promised presence with me through them, but I try and press on in my own stubborn pride uh, and my independence instead of depending upon God for strength. And this text calls me out for that. It calls me out for that stubbornness, for that pride, that refusal to take refuge in God by faith, by prayer, by attending to Uh, the fellowship with other Christians in order to find that he truly is my stronghold. It calls me out for not recalling his plans of old that are faithful and sure. Calls me out for not clinging to my living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. This text also reminds me about how I'm often tempted to fall into what is very popular today, the victim mentality. And by that I mean, as I'm going through difficult times, I tend to focus too much on my trials and thinking of myself as a victim. And by doing that, I often sink into my sadness instead of grabbing on and latching on to the promises of God by faith to lift me up and pull me forward in life. If I just think about my sufferings, if I just stay in grief, then yeah, that will make me weak. But God has given us his word and his promises to lift us up and pull us forward and to pull us out of that victim mentality to give us a a more victorious kind of mentality in the victory that God has promised and secured for us through Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think all of us here who are listening in can resonate with that struggle. And as we consider this text, you know, how can we better follow Isaiah's example? What are some practical ways that we can grieve through our trials as those who have hope? Well, yeah, like in those first five verses, Isaiah, as he's relating his own experience and that of Israel, he's admitting weakness. He's admitting their sufferings, that they truly were victims. But Isaiah doesn't stay there. He grabs a hold of that promise of God's victory, even over death and victory over his enemies. And so we want to persevere with that strength that Isaiah found, which comes from God. And we do that primarily by reminding ourselves and one another of God's promised deliverance through Christ, the hope that we have. Yeah, you know, the late Dr. R.C. Sproul once said in his commentary in Romans, hope is not taking a deep breath and hoping things are going to turn out all right. It's an assurance that God is going to do what he says he'll do. That's right. And, you know, the Apostle Paul, as he in Romans 8, is meditating on the various trials that we as Christians face, danger, famine, sword, nakedness, etc. He concludes with a triumphant hope saying we are more than conquerors through him who loved us and he goes on to say in great triumph for i am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of god in christ jesus our lord paul was 
like R.C. Sproul said, so assured of what God Mm. would do because of his love that he has shown and demonstrated for us through the person of Christ, through his life, death, and resurrection. That guarantees for us the victory that Isaiah is laying out here for us in the future. And so we need to hear this truth. We need to meditate on the hope that we have in Christ And we need to share that with one another, especially as we go through trials, but even before we go through them as well, so that we're prepared to face those difficult challenges that God sends us in life. Amen. And, you know, as Reformed Christians, we have this as part of our heritage in regards to reminding us of how the gospel uh, transforms the things that we experience, even death. I think of Heidelberg Catechism 29. You know, if Christ died, why do we still have to die? And part of the answer is our death is an entrance into eternal life. You know, because of the gospel, Jesus has transformed that grave for us, where it's actually a place where we are protected and preserved by God. I think of Isaiah 27 at the end, where he says this, The Lord says, Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut the doors behind you. Hide yourself for a little while until the indignation passes by. And I believe that's an image pointing to death. It's kind of like in death, we go into this storm shelter so that when God's wrath comes upon the nations of this earth, God's people are kept safe. They have a hiding place in Christ. And we constantly come back to those truths of the gospel that you just said, brother, that Jesus has transformed even the grave for us because of what he's done and because of his conquering work for us. In what ways does this text give us a bigger and better understanding of who Jesus is for us? Yeah, as you're already talking about the Son of God coming into this world and taking on human flesh, he came to face death the great and last enemy, God, that is to be destroyed and put under his footstool. And he approached that hour of his suffering knowing that he would die for his own. And Jesus is the Lord God that Isaiah speaks of here who swallowed up death for us. We think of how before he went to the cross there in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said to his father, if there be another way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And There wasn't another way. Jesus took that cup that was filled with the wrath of God. It's an image that's found in the Old Testament, even in Isaiah, of God storing up wrath in this cup for the nations to drink and stagger and fall in judgment. And Jesus took that cup and drank every last drop for us. It was the death sentence that he took into his own body on the tree in order to free us from the just condemnation of God that we deserve for breaking his law, for sinning against him, for rebelling against the Lord our God and creator. For the wages of sin is death, and Jesus swallowed up death in order to redeem us and set us free from that condemnation. And then we have this beautiful image when we think of Jesus dying on the tree, breathing his last, and then being brought down. He was wrapped in linens, that covering of death, the veil of death. Literally, the Lord of life was wrapped in linens of death for us. And when we think about what he's preparing for us now in glory, we can think about how he was wrapped in those linens of death in order to lay out, so to speak, the tablecloth and that banquet feast. He was wrapped in death in order to give us that feast and all because he swallowed death for us. Mm. Amen. That's the good news that helps us to face death with confidence It reminds me of an account from the 18th century of two Baptist ministers who were also dear friends. Uh, Their names were Andrew Gifford and John Ryland. 
And Andrew Gifford was the one who died first. And so his friend, John Ryland, spoke at his graveside. And this is what he said. He said, farewell, thou dear old man. We leave thee in the possession of death till the resurrection day. But we will bear witness against thee, O king of terrors, at the mouth of this dungeon. Thou shalt not always have possession of this dead body. It shall be demanded of thee by the great conqueror. And at that moment thou shalt resign thy prisoner. O ye ministers of Christ, ye people of God, ye surrounding spectators, prepare, prepare to meet this old servant of Christ at that day and at that hour when this whole place shall be all nothing, but life and death shall be swallowed up in victory. And that's the victory that Isaiah is talking about. That's the victory that we celebrate as Christians, right? Christ is risen from the dead. And when we meet death, we know, like you said, brother, we won't be swallowed up by it. And dear listener, this is what the risen Christ proclaims today to all nations. Later on, Isaiah will say in chapter 55, right, come to the waters and he who has no money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Christ invites us to that great victory feast all because of what he's done. And we come by turning away from our sins and clinging to that only savior who can see us through the valley of the shadow of death. Mm. Lastly, brother, as we begin to wind down here, which verses do you recommend we commit to memory from this passage? That central verse, verse 8, which is quoted in the New Testament, He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. Mm -hmm. If we take that into heart and really meditate on it, memorize it, it will be a great comfort, a light in times of darkness. That's a good verse to conclude with, and we also want to conclude with this verse from St. Augustine who said this, O death, when you seize my Lord, you lost your grip on me. Well, dear listener, thank you for taking some time to listen to this midweek musing. It's a joy to be able to do this together with you, brother, and we look forward to bringing to you another one next week.